Welcome everybody to IP Presents. Today, George and I have a special interview with the creator and CEO of the Polymega, Mr. Brian Brennell. We'll be talking to him about his company, Playmaji Inc., the new upcoming retro console, the Polymega, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, this is a really interesting conversation. Uh, maybe not everyone who follows IP or maybe listens to this feed, it is a young feed, uh, I, I'm not sure the the level of retro enthusiast rational passions is, but this is a very, very exciting project, a very ambitious yeah. project, and I'm really excited that we were able to get Brian here to actually talk about it, you know, pick his brain a little bit on the creation of it. It uh, It's a good one, so be sure to stick around. It's an hour long, so enjoy. Brian Burnell. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Playmaji Inc. And uh, we are the creators of the Polymega HD modular game console. And uh, from a high level, uh, Polymega is a brand new way to play retro games. And it's the first of its kind, uh, first retro system out there that will take all of your uh, games with cartridges and CDs uh, up-res everything up to 1080p resolution and allow you to play all those games uh, with very little input lag um, in a nice, beautiful, modern machine and uh, with a nice, beautiful user user interface to use with it. And uh, the, the sort of key innovations here is I would say we're probably the first uh, retro console out there to support the CD-ROM format. So that's one thing that's got a lot of people pretty excited about the system. and. Um, on the base unit, uh, it's a modular system. So you have a base unit and you have modules that you can plug into it. On the base system itself, you can play all the CD systems without any modules or anything like that. So you can play PlayStation 1 games, uh, Sega Saturn games. You can play TurboGrafx CD games, Sega CD games, and Neo Geo CD games. So those all just work on the base Polymega that you can just buy. And uh, we have that for pre-order on our website uh, for $299. Um, and they all work. Uh, you, all you do is just plug in a CD. Um, it'll show up in the user interface. You can start playing it right away. You can also install those games to the user interface. You don't have to keep using the CD over and over again. And um, you can use any... Uh, the system actually comes with a USB controller that's uh, it's an 8-button controller, and it's sort of reminiscent of a, of a PS4 controller, and that is able to handle all the different games that you throw at it. The other key innovation about the Polymega is that it has uh, modular support for cartridge-based systems. And um, the great thing about this is that it lets you kind of pick and choose whatever system you're a fan of. Uh, if you have a bunch of, uh, you know, say you're a big Super Nintendo fan, uh, you can go get the Super Nintendo module. And that gives you, uh, it's actually sold as a set, so you have a module uh, a new controller that we've designed with it that's wired and plugs into the original SNES controller port. Uh, and then you have the module and, and you can plug in your original game cartridges into the module uh, and play them off of the Polymega using that. And um, in addition to that, it also has five preloaded games uh, that come with each one of the modules. So you're getting something to play right away when you get the, the modules. And uh, we have four different modules that are available at the launch of the system. So that's the original 8-bit NES, the 16-bit Super Nintendo, the 
16-bit Sega Genesis, and that also supports uh, the 32X. And then we also have TurboGrafx-16, and that also supports Super Graphics. Uh, and all of them are region-free, so you can play any of the uh, Japanese or European variants. And on top of that, uh, well, there is actually one exception to that. Uh, the 8-bit NES is not compatible with uh, Famicom cartridges from Japan. And the only reason for that is because the uh, cartridge sizes are pretty significantly different. Okay. Very cool. Um, in terms of Famicom, because we actually uh, posted online if anyone had questions, and one of the things that came up a, a couple times was regarding the Famicom. Is there any thought to release a, an adapter of some sort to allow people to use Famicom, or would that be more of a... Do you foresee it more being a separate Famicom-specific module at some point? Well, I'll tell you what we're looking into right now. Um, so for the launch offering of Polymega, um, it's going to be mainly focused on uh, supporting the North American and European game cartridges for NES. Um, but And the reason we don't support uh, the Famicom on that module is because, A, uh, the cartridge sizes are different, like I said, so we'd have to make a new adapter that you could use. Or um, alternatively, if there was an adapter that people already had, um, they would plug in their cartridges into that, into the module, and the only thing that wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't, that would block it from functioning is that there's a huge database that that is created for each one of the systems. Uh, we have a database of about 15,000 games right now across all the systems that we support. Uh, but Famicom had many thousands of games that need to need to be added to that database as well. Um, and right. when we add something to our database, it's not just uh, the identification of the game. It's the uh, all the art and all the screenshots and the information and all that. So it's actually a really significant task. Uh, we do plan to do that as a software update at some point. So someday uh, mm -hmm. you will be able to plug in those that adapter and the Famicom cartridge will work. That said, in parallel, we're also uh, working on a new Famicom module that's dedicated. And one of the things that we want to solve for is the ability to play Famicom disk system disks mm -hmm. okay. so that's the reason why we're not really putting too much effort towards uh famicom right here in the launch window um but we do think that it would be nice for people to be able to use an adapter of some sort to to play the famicom cartridges we would love that ourselves because we're both we're all big famicom collectors as well we just have a lot on our plate and we have a lot of uh you know we have to prioritize things right and brian i guess we should maybe step because it is a good point you we, we touched on a lot of stuff that i, I think we both want to talk about here but I guess like you gave us the pitch for the Polymega and for the folks who aren't familiar with it now understand what it is. You know, we talked about it before we started recording that something like this hasn't been done to this extent. Um, I think just looking at going to your website and showing like what you have done for the Polymega, the craftsmanship and mm. just the design and UI, it's, it's very modern and very different to say something like a Retron. Uh, not to throw anyone under the bus here, but that's probably the closest thing you, I can even compare it to. But I think before that, I got to ask, how did you, like, where did this journey to make a, something like this begin? Yeah, so back when, uh, I, would, I wouldn't say it's really a previous life, but um, a few years back, back in the mid-2000s, I was a uh, producer for current-gen games. So I worked for Insomniac Games. Uh, and I was the producer of the Ratchet and Clank series uh, for uh, PS3. So I worked on Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time, 
uh, future tools of destruction, uh, and a lot of the PS2 games also. And I wasn't really the producer of those games. I was uh, in, I was like an assistant and running localization and cinematics and things like that. But, uh, but so I started my my career in the in the gaming industry working on uh, more mainstream titles. And after about uh, eight or nine years of working on uh, on releases for current gen systems, um, I got kind of tired of uh, working on those types of games and and sort of you know going through that yearly push to get something out the door in time for the holidays. And so um, I took a step out of the games industry and I uh, went and uh, was working in advertising and I was working in music and sort of broadening my horizons. And uh, during that time, I really kind of stepped back and I said, well, what was it that really got me into games in the first place? Um, what did I love about it? And what I realized was that um, I really got into games because I really loved the games that I grew up playing. But I found myself not necessarily loving current gen games quite as much because they started deviating away from what a game is, I felt. Mm-hmm. And the rule set started getting a little bit more vague. Were we trying to be a movie or were we trying to be a game? Uh, is this meant to be an experience that uh, you buy and you go on a roller coaster ride, or is it something that where we have a content treadmill that you know continues feeding us new things just for the sake of of, of feeding us new things? And I started looking at all the games that were coming out, and I was like, well, this was this is just like this other game that came out in the 1990s that I remember playing for the original PlayStation, or this is just like that other game you know, that, that influenced me as a kid. So what I realized was that I really love retro games and that's what I really, you know, was was inspired by the whole time. And so um, going to your point about how this sort of led to the Polymega is, um, during my time working for an advertising agency, I went to Japan and um, through the whole time that I had been a kid growing up, I would see these really cool uh, eight and 16 bit systems uh, that came out in Japan but never came out in America. Systems like the FM Towns Marty, mm. the, the PC Engine, uh, a lot of these systems. And even though the TurboGrafx-16 mm-hmm. did come out, like the Super Graphics never came out here. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that I was just really interested in that I never was able to get my hands on when I was younger because I had no way to get to Japan. I had no money, and you know, like I was just a kid. So, so it was great to finally get to go to Japan. And I hunted down all those systems that I always wanted to have. I was, you know, an adult, you know, making a good salary and everything. And I was able to afford those things. And I brought them all back. And, uh, you know, I went through the whole process of trying to set them up in my living room. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it's a, it's an experience to, to, to go through, as I'm sure you guys have probably oh, yes. experienced yourselves. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was I was having to resolder capacitors and uh, mm. do RGB mods and, <laughs> and those aren't buy, cheap. Those aren't yeah, cheap then you, or, you know uh, you you throw down your five five hundred bucks for a frame meister or whatever, and you're like, okay, I finally got the system dialed. And then I think I moved, and I was like, I'm not doing. I'm not setting all this up again. Forget it. <laughs> like, it's just like <laughs> this is too much work. So um, it was around that time where I was like, you know, this is there's a lot of people. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, in movies and and, and music and art and, and things kind of outside of the video games world um, that would come over to my house and they'd be like, hey, um, you know, how do I get this? I really like these games. This is these are games that I can that I remember and I really want to play. Um, I'm not really interested in in PS4 and Xbox One, but I do want to play. Uh, I want to play this this game that we're playing right now. Um, you know the, the the retro stuff. 
I'm like, well, good luck. It's it's a ton of work, <laughs> and um, to do it right, I mean, you're better off going and getting yourself something like a Retron. Um, but uh, but they were having, you know, even that has some limitations. Yeah, so, I have a Retron Five, so I I'm well aware of some of the the headaches that that system can cause. But well, I really wanted a, a CD-based system too. I mean, I was a, I was especially a big fan of the PC Engine CD. <clears throat> so um so. I, I felt like that was something that was not uh, that was not really like available in any way. Like I just all I really wanted to do was I didn't want to pirate stuff. I just wanted to put my CD that I bought in you know on my trip to Japan into a system and be able to play it. Whether that be my PC, whether that be a Raspberry Pi, whether that be whatever, and I would have been fine with that. But unfortunately, at the time, in around late 2015, no solution like that actually existed. So. Um, so I had started, um, and I had even talked to um, some of the more famous open source developers at that time about, and I about like, how do I do this? And they're just like, no, we ripped the support for CDs out because there's a thousand drives out there, um, and we can't support all those different CD drives that people have on their computers because it's just a, you know, it's a rat's nest for bugs. So they, um, so they recommended that you know I just rip the ISOs and play the ISOs, and um, I didn't want to do that. So, um, so that's basically where Polymega started, and um, and through that process, um, you know, I got linked up with um, a number of the the former developers that I worked with at Insomniac. Um, I ended up getting linked up with um, through my con my contacts in the in the digital agency world. Um, I was working on on campaigns for Google and Toyota and all that kind of thing, and you know, you're crossing all kinds of different uh, disciplines. When you're working on on those types of projects, so I got introduced to great industrial designers, great motion graphics guys, great you know, and that's you know, and all of these things sort of culminate together into what you see in the Polymega today, um, and it's all driven by our internal team's passion for the retro games, but the actual technical know-how and the uh, and the design eye that really kind of makes it look special. Now, in terms of because the CD-based games are such a focus of the Polymega being able right out of the box with the base unit i'm curious about how you guys went about um the bios issue for the right. ps1 specifically for this example have you guys partnered with sony to get actual playstation 1 bios to use or have you kind of reverse engineered your own bios for use in the polymega yeah, so we uh, we actually reverse engine. Well, we didn't reverse engineer it. Another person outside of our company reverse engineered it, and then we purchased the specification uh, of that reverse engineering effort um, to create and then like code against internally uh, something called a clean room uh, okay. BIOS implementation, and that's what you have to do. There's standards that have been set right. uh, legally in court, um, old stuff, but it's all relevant today. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so basically, we had to follow the rules, and uh, that's one of the reasons why you probably haven't seen a CD-based retro console yet, is because it's really difficult to do. Um, and we had luckily had the development team that was capable of doing that, and uh, and you know we've done a pretty good job with it. Actually, we have a, a really high compatibility rate for both PS1, Sega Saturn, and everything. And it's everything's like the target is for every system over 95%. Um, so, so yeah, we've reached that on a number of fronts. We're still working on a little, you know, a couple things here and there, but, but overall, yeah, it's gone, it's gone really well, and the system, mm -hmm. you know, 
we wanted to live up to the dream of just putting a disc in and playing it and not right. have to worry about any setup. Yeah, not a lot of folks out there are making a new bleem to put out in the market. Um, that's, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so with CDs, I think, uh, and this is the one I'm, I may be not 100% familiar from reading up on the Polymega, but I think the fear with CDs, and I think all of us who like like physical media, we swear by the CD, by the physical disc that this is the proof that I have this game and I could forever have it. But there is a reality that those discs will eventually like get damaged or just data rot or what have you. Um, the Polymega can back up those discs. Am I correct there? Because I know it doesn't play ROMs or ISOs, but it can back up mm. the disc. That's right. Yeah, there's a there's a modern convenience uh, feature of the system, which is for you to be able to install your games to the Polymega, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, basically, the way it works is uh, if you have a CD, uh, you can stick it into the Polymega's uh, optical disk drive. Uh, the art will appear, and the name of the disk will appear. Um, we have a database that that will identify it. And then uh, you can pull up a manage, you get the, the button that says manage on it, and then you can choose to install it to the system. You can alternately choose to add it to your collection, uh, which is two separate things. And um, basically what that is, is adding something to your collection lets you just play off of the CD if you don't want to install it, or maybe you don't have enough hard drive space to, to install it. Um, but you can also, um, you can have it in your collection and have things like save states and screenshots of it and all the different game specific settings. Um, so that you can play just off of the physical media if you want to. Right. Um, alternately, you could install it, and that just go ahead, goes ahead and installs the entire game into the system, at which point you never have to install that game disc again, um, and or you don't have to insert it again to play it. Um, you'll have a tile in your UI uh, that represents that game, and you can launch it anytime you want to from that tile. And if there's multiple discs for the game, like lots of games, you know, RPGs for the PS1 uh, had like three or four game discs. Right. Mm -hmm. You just go ahead and install each one of them. And then while you're playing the game, if it asks you to change the disc, there's a menu you can pull up in the middle of the game. And you'll just go down to the, the in, there's a sub menu of console. And then you just go to, it says currently playing disc one. And then you can say insert disc two, like that. And then it'll just switch it over. Very cool. Are you guys going to incorporate this sort of folder system or organizational tools where people can kind of, if they have a bunch of RPGs, they can group all of those in an RPG folder or fighting games, things like that? We actually, um, so so Polymega's database is completely built in-house and it has all of these facets that you can already use uh, to sort all of your games by any one of those filtering criteria. So if I just want to see all my 2D fighting games, I can look at all my 2D fighting games. If I only want to look at 3D fighting games, I can look only at my 3D fighting games. Um, if you want to create a custom playlist of games that fall within a specific set of criteria that you've set up for yourself, you can create a custom playlist. So it's really up to you to choose how you want to organize and sort your data. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's some folks who uh, use it during E3, for example, um, you know, remarked that it was quite mature and, and felt very thorough and polished. And um, that's really the, the, the feeling that we're going for. When you have a lot of games in front of you, we found that it's really hard to choose what you want to play and, um, you know, kind of figure out what you want to do. So having good organizational tools uh, really makes you, uh, makes it easier to focus on, on what games you want to play, even if you have a big backlog. Right. Um, that's something that I've personally experienced um, some issues with as well. 
So we've we've talked about it a lot about that database. Um, it's just one of the, the things that super sells me on it. But I imagine that getting the correct box art, getting the correct because there's even sort of like little graphs that describe the game. Uh, getting all that information seems like a lot of work. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about what was that process like and how it will stay updated in the future? Um, and I know you have a relationship with the uh, Video Game History Foundation. So do they at all have like any like, uh, do they consult at all with you? Like how do you present this, the best way to present this or to make sure you got your, your, your P's and Q's lined up? Like, oh, this is like, I don't know, like Ridge Racer 4, these, these greatest hits version or what have you. Well, it's been a huge project in and of itself. Obviously, right. we're making the console. There's all the emulation work and everything that's happening. Um, but then on top of that, the, the database is, is one of the main features of the system. Um, a lot of people don't give it a lot of credit because um, I'm it's here not... to tell you that I, that's the number one reason I want one. <laughs> I was, I was oh, very, it's I was such very a surprised nice you brought that up. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, so the database has been a massive, massive, massive project, and we knew it was going to be a big project from the beginning. A lot of um, other products that um, are retro-based either don't do it at all, or they, when they do do it, they use um, sort of the de facto database that's out there. Um, I think, I, I don't know, I actually am not exactly sure what it's called. Like, a lot of people use Moby Games or the Giant Bomb Wiki, I feel. Uh, yeah, okay. so 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 Moby Games, you, you you know, as a website, you can jump in there and, and get a lot of data out of it. But um, for me personally, I want to see um, everything in context. So when I'm looking at it, I don't want to be looking at my phone back and forth and sort of searching right. for stuff on right. my own. I just want to see it right there. Um, and if I want to see more games from that same developer or more games from that same publisher or more games within the same genre or just get recommendations of games that are similar to something that I'm playing a lot, um, I would like to be able to have some tools that would help me sift through all the noise and find the stuff that's most relevant for me. Um, so we sort of uh, took that that approach for Polymega, and uh, we actually did license the data from Moby Games. So uh, we have uh, a snapshot of all the data from Moby Games that um, I would say it's powering about <clears throat> about 75% of Polymega's database right now. Um, however, there's um, there's a lot of stuff that we did that's completely custom because not everything, not every asset, uh, AKA like a box art picture or a screenshot, uh, not everything is completely uniform, even on movie games. Um, so basically what we did is we took all the best pieces of movie games um, and then anything that didn't look like it was up to the quality bar that we expect for our console, we redid it. Um, and so that's everything from screenshots, like all the PS1 and Sega Saturn screenshots are completely ours. Um, all of the box arts basically across the board are, are our own doing, but there's there's a few wow. instances where, like you'll see even like on, like for example, on the TurboGrafx-16 games, a lot of the boxes were <clears throat> that you see that you see from, uh, from other websites, the box art scans are, um, they look good, but you can tell they're quite weathered. Um, they weren't made from the highest quality paper, so that's why you know to find one in really really good condition is pretty pretty tricky. Um, mm -hmm. So we have completely new um, box art that was created for all the TurboGrafx 16 games. Um, mm -hmm. So those those are just some examples, but um, basically our view was that if it didn't look uniform and correct, or you know if it wasn't color corrected. If it looked faded or worn out, and you kind of see that when you're, you know, if you 
if you load up uh, like another popular front end, you might see right. like a less than high quality box art. That's the thing that those are those little differences that I think people see in Polymega. They're like, wow, everything looks perfect, and it's like there, ready to go the minute I plug in my game. Yeah, yeah. it's really, it's really, really nice. It's, again, it also sort of like. It sort of takes the collector that that weird nagging thing is like, oh man, I have the greatest hits version of X game. Oh, yeah. But on the Polymega, it just looks like, oh yeah, there you go. Look look at my perfect collection there. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, it really does um, satisfy the uh, <laughs> the itch for, for for keeping things perfect. Um, you know, from a collector's standpoint, um, when you have a game that does have multiple versions, um, like a Rev A or a Rev B. Um, it actually groups those together um, into a separate subfolder, and then you can just kind of choose which game you want. So if you, you know, if you're looking at say Final Fantasy VII, um, you, you have like those three discs. If you hit the Final Fantasy VII game tile, it, it lets you choose which disc you want to, <coughs> excuse me, which one you want to, uh, which one you want to play. And if there was any revisions, it would show all of those in that subdirectory as well. But when you're looking at your collection view of like all your PlayStation games, it's just one tile, looks really clean, keeps it nice and simple. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Is there any plan for eventually incorporating instruction manuals as well? I know that's probably an even huger task, but I'm just curious if there's any plan or thought to that in the future. Yeah, we have been thinking about that. It's a big, it's a big feature, and it's one of those things that um, we can't, we certainly couldn't uh, uh, give. It's a little bit tricky with certain things because um, we we make assumptions about what the player owns and has when they insert it into the seat into the system, so that we can display the game art tiles and everything mm -hmm. uh, under fair use rules. Um, I'm not sure if the cop if the manual falls under that. Um, but basically what we're trying to do is um, we have, a, in addition to all the work that we're doing on the, the base system, um, the next big sort of task for Polymega is to have a digital marketplace rolled out where publishers can release game anthologies and new collections and possibly even new games onto our store so that people who don't have physical copies of games can get in there and play them. Now, one of the things that's going to be really important around that is that people need to know how to play the games. So we need to have uh, have uh, manual uh, representation in there somehow. And uh, I think that the NES Classic and the SNES Classic did it pretty well. You hit a, hit a QR code and pull it up on your phone, and right. that's a really convenient mm -hmm. way to read something. I don't know if you've ever tried to read anything on a TV before, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like I think like some folks like Nintendo do like really, really, really exciting and interesting uh, digital manuals, but a lot of them are not that. Um, but speaking of the database and it sort of being its own beast that you have to wrangle, um, I think some folks may say that the Polyomega is expensive, but when you think of the fact that the the database service, while like it requires work, it requires like someone to sift. Like I don't know what the process mm -hmm. of like going one by one like making sure like this is this all checks out now we can go like it takes time um how i guess is it is that that is that updated database going to continue to be sort of a complementary service to polymega owners like 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 you mentioned maybe adding um you know different features through software updates like if you did add a dreamcast which i'm not saying you are uh support but if you were, that would have to be a thing. That's a whole other batch of like 
database content that we have to add in. Yeah, it sure is. Um, so as far as database updates, um, there's a few different vectors. There's the release of a, of a new system. And of course, we would have uh, all of the database data like ready to go when that happens. So with reference to Dreamcast, which is only a hypothetical right now, uh, if that were to happen, yes, you would have the full, uh, at least for official releases, you would have all the official releases in there uh, ready to go. Now, one of the things that's a little bit tricky is that there are a lot of homebrews and, and cartridges out there that yeah. we may not know, know about right now. Right. I was curious so, about how it handles specifically the Super Nintendo module as an example. How does the Polymega handle reproduction cards? Because I have fan-made repro cards of Japanese games with English pa translation patches applied to them stuck in a Super NES cart. How would the Polymega handle um, things like that? Well, that's a great question. So we have, uh, so so we do have the so we have the full database of the actual games that were official releases. We're working on uh, implementing. So we already have patch support for the real games. Um, if you have a repro that is that has a patch previously applied, this is a good example of where we may not have that game in our database quite yet because we don't have our hands on it. So you'll be able to play it for sure. Um, but all, a lot of the extended features that you might get with the Polymega, you might not have a database entry for it. Um, so certain features uh, may be disabled, um, such as um, the ability to perhaps like use save states and things like that. So there's might be certain things that we have to disable on cartridges that are not in our database, um, but we might do work, might have some workarounds for that plan as well. So uh, TBD at the moment. Okay. But you'll be able to at least play it. That's for sure. One of the mm -hmm. things I saw on uh, the new forums that you guys posted is how uh, the Coffee Lake series pr processor can be upgraded in the future. I'm curious how y you guys are thinking of approaching being able to upgrade the processor with the Polymega. Is it just like by module base like a module you'll have an upgrade module is it would it be an expansion port because i saw that it also lists an expansion port but that wasn't referencing to the uh like solid state you could expand is that how you would upgrade the processor how, i'm curious how the that aspect would work yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Not a lot of people have asked about that. So um, Polymega uses a socketed CPU. So if you have, uh, if, and the reason why when we announced that the CPU was upgradable, uh, that we said that it would need to be performed by an authorized service outlet, um, and it's not something we would advise doing it yourself, it's because the, the type of processor that's used um, uses a very specific amount of power. It's something called a, called TDP. I'm not sure how, how technical you guys are, but the thermal design power of each one of the chips uh, is sort of different. They usually fall somewhere around uh, around 35 watts for our system, mm -hmm. but some chips that look almost identical to it are, are upwards of 60 or 70 watts. So if you put the wrong chip inside the Polymega, um, like say you just bought something off Amazon, you're like, oh, it kind of looks like this, and you know it uses the same socket. Um, it may work under some circumstances, but you might actually damage the system. 
So you have to make sure that you use the correct uh, chips for upgrade. And that's why we'll offer an upgrade surface in the future. And uh, basically the way that this would work is uh, if we offered an upgrade service, uh, we would um, either have uh, local facilities that we've authorized to perform the service, like game shops or, uh, or potentially some retailers like Best Buy or something like that. And basically what you would do is you would bring in your system, they would, uh, you would purchase the, the upgrade um, and then they would perform the upgrade and then give it back to you. Um, the reason why we would allow you to upgrade the Polymega is so that in the future, if we decided to support more advanced systems, um, you know, say beyond the fifth generation of consoles. So if you're looking into say PS2 or something like that, uh, we actually do have the, the ability to support those types of um, systems in the future on Polymega. Um, it's just a matter of uh, upgrading the processor. So um, PS2 may still be doable at some point, um, but it's a little early to, to be launching that as a retro console um, commercially. So we're not really looking at that quite yet. I will buy five modules for PS2 if you launch it. I want <laughs> an easy way to play P my PS2 collection so badly. <laughs> We were just talking about that at our office, actually. Like one of our our guys who's who's currently uh, working on 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 some database stuff, actually, <laughs> specifically. Uh, he uh, he was like, "How do I get uh, how do I get PS2 running at home?" I was like, "You have a PS3, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, but the game that I wanted to play doesn't work." And I, it was like, "Is it the right PS3? The one like the the first launch edition with the backwards compatibility?" And he was like, "I think so, yeah." And, and then we were talk, kind of going round and round about it. But yeah, a lot of people, I, I personally would love to have a PS2 as well. One of the first games yeah. that I worked on in the games industry was um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Ooh, and and um, I would love to go back and play that right now. I don't really, I, I don't have any backwards compatibility, I think, on my uh, on my PS4. And my, well, I think my PS3 may be able to play it, but uh, but I, I don't, it's in the attic somewhere. Right, but even that emulation is like—is it like software emulation with that PS3, or is it the actual hardware emulation? It's a—it's a whole thing. Um, yep. What thing? This uh, real. Go ahead, George. Sure. I was just going to ask. You know, we've talked about the important the, the purpose of the Polymega is to get those old games that you have already and play them in the most convenient uh, way possible. Um, save states are a thing with that, with cartridges and I guess even memory cards. Um, for cartridges themselves, like if you were to, you know, put your game in the Polymega, would it take, would it bring over the save file? Oh, from the from the cartridge itself. Yeah, from the cartridge itself. We currently don't support that, but we could roll it out as an update. Um, one of the things that we're trying to make sure of is that we keep the integrity of the data on the cartridge um, right. completely. That's like holy grail. We can't we can't touch that. So until we're a hundred percent sure that we won't ever damage anyone's save state. Um, we're we're about like like eighty percent sure that we we won't have any effect on it right now, but it's not quite ready for launch yet. So um, if we do do that, we'll do it as a system software update for the system. Gotcha. And for like PlayStation, because I know um, Sony, I have one of those like early when the PlayStation Three was backwards compatible. They had a, a memory card adapter that you could plug in through micro USB to your PlayStation Three. Um, I know that's supported. Would you be able to move that save? To the Polymega, um, like a PS1 save file. Um, yes, you can do that. 
the the timing for the release of that that accessory, um, we are hoping to have it ready for for launch day one. Um, if it's not ready for launch day one, it'll be one of the earlier things that's uh, that's supported after launch. Like in oh, okay. Are days. you making your own adapter as well? No, the actual adapter from the PS3. Will right, work. right. Right. I wonder how the, I don't know how the price on those. I know I got one cheap at a Toys R Us clearance one time, and I was like, "This will probably be handy at some point." <laughs> <laughs> well, you're lucky. I think I think they did go up in price. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, yeah. probably, probably. Um, we, we've been, we've been kicking around the idea of doing a doing a PlayStation module. Um, it's not it's not out of the question. Um, and having it be, um, you know, compatible with memory cards would be a really really great thing. Uh, there's a little bit of more vetting that we're doing on that. I'm curious, with the database, with being able to install games, all of that, I know you can expand the the memory, that, or the expand like the hard drive space, but what comes straight out of the box for, for people? Uh, it's got a 32 gigabyte SSD built into it. Okay. So um, that's that's embedded on the motherboard. It has all the system software and the, the game art and everything. I think uh, that'll it'll eat up a bit of the space, but you'll have about 16 to 20 gigs good good to go like right out out of the box very cool very cool um let's see we have a question from reddit it's uh user reddit's threadit um he wants to know are you concerned about the plan retro arcs lib retro support of optical drives and media and what do you guys consider as the competition to the polymega yeah, that's a good question, especially I've been thinking about I wanted to ask this sort of also because, you know, you are licensing some emulators uh, like Kega, uh, like Kega Fusion. Um, and they're like RetroArch has like, like sometimes the relationship between the people who make the emulator software like MAME and RetroArch can be there's some drama there because they're running an older version of MAME because it'll run on a Raspberry Pi or what have you. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, yeah, to answer like Scott's question, like. What do you see as competition or what people are doing, folks like RetroArch? Well, I think what you're you're really looking at there is um, who's the audience that you're targeting, right? So um, the audience of people that I know that, that are really good at using RetroArch, most of them don't probably have big CD collections. So, um, you know, it's a little it's a little hard to say. I mean, I wish any I think I wish everyone luck in doing what they want to do um, with their projects. Um, I hope it works well. I, I know it's one of the challenges a little probably, I mean, at least from my experience when I was first starting this project and just trying to get that basic idea of of um, putting a CD into my computer and actually using a product like RetroArch and playing it, um, you know, from the horse's mouth, um, you know, supporting so many different drives that are out there. You literally have thousands of different drives and they all have their own unique characteristics and bugs. It's going to be a big task, but um, it's not impossible. If they're really determined, they can do it. And, um, but that's one of the reasons why Polymega was made, um, you know, eliminate that problem by putting one CD-ROM drive and make it really good. And so that's what we did. And we can ensure the consistency and performance just because we have consistent, a single, a single piece of hardware that's consistent. So, um, so do I see that as competition? Um, not really. I think that we're really targeting a different market that, than uh, the core RetroArch user um, might be. Um, you know, like like I had mentioned earlier, we're looking at um, people who maybe are intimidated by current gen systems, want to play uh, nice or want to play some of the older systems in really high quality in a really nice box um, and just have something in their living room. Um, I think I look at 
I'll walk into an Urban Outfitters and, and see a, a couple of turntables and a rack full of vinyl, and I'm like, yeah, the people who would buy this would probably buy a Polymega if there was a bunch of game cartridges around. I do mm-hmm. have to say, the pa- everything from the packaging to the looks of the controllers to the system itself, everything about the Polymega is gorgeous. Like, it looks really well built. I'm, I'm anxious to get my hands on it. I'm curious, are there any thoughts on different colored models outside of just the black? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. We actually came up, we ha- I, have a, I have a concept deck of the Polymega, and we'll, we'll probably put all this stuff on the website at some point. The Polymega went through all kinds of different looks and feelings. Like, we had one that looked kind of like a MacBook. We had one that looked like all kinds of different stuff. And um, we, we did try it, the, the, an earlier version of, of the system in, I think it was like, a, a light green, a baby blue, and like a white. And it, and looking back, I looked at it the other day and I was like, wow, that's really, really interesting looking. Um, but uh, it, one of the things that always was kind of difficult for me in my mind around doing different colored modules and, and things like that is just the mismatch because it is a modular system. Right, sliding right. in one mm-hmm. color and having it be a different color on the base, it never kind of sat quite right in my mind. Um, so I think there's a way to do it that's kind of minimal and, and subtle and still retains the design, and we might look in, into that in the future. But um, I think for the moment we're going to kind of stick with the with the the dark, you know, gray charcoal black look, and um, that way we can keep everything sort of unified and, and looking consistent. Um, and then maybe toy around with some different textures and patterns in the future and see what happens. Right. The, the, yeah, I, I agree. Like uniform, I, I enjoy the the fun colors, but sometimes that the uniformity, especially when you're doing something that is modular, uh, and the the I, I consider the Polymega like I, the the brand identity of it, the very sleekness of it, to be very core as to why I like it. Um, but uh, wanted to ask, I know you have a relationship with the Video Game History Foundation. Um, I think it's on your website that some proceeds of the sales of Polymega will go to supporting their efforts. Um, can you tell me about that relationship? And obviously, we've been talking about the database and how much how important it is to get that right information out there. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about their relationship with them? Yeah, sure. So, um, so Frank Cifaldi and I have been, right. uh, but well internet buddies for a while <laughs> we, we, we've actually never met in person which is a little bit weird we were supposed to meet up at, at gdc this year but um, i think our wires got crossed and we didn't end up doing it um but what did happen was at e3 this year kelsey lewin um who's uh who's a pretty famous pink, uh, right. YouTuber. the pink gorilla the the store yeah um, yeah yeah i believe i believe she's involved with that but she's also the um the now director of the video game history foundation and she's working with frank on a lot of stuff and uh we just had a meeting with them uh, a couple weeks ago and came up with some really great ideas for how to um sort of uh give back to the community that's made a system like polymega possible and uh, we have some great ideas and things that are coming out nothing i can really talk about quite yet but um I would say that we were all very excited about um, some of the topics that were discussed. Mm. And um, a lot of it's really big picture. Like, um, you know, what is the real uh, way that, that, that us working together can impact uh, not only like, so, so let me rewind for a second. One of the things that we, we basically said was that, um, you know, Polymega is not possible without you know, people in the open source community. Right. So, and they work on our projects, they get paid for our projects, but um, we don't want people to stop doing it because the games, like, they, they do have a, uh, or 
you know, once emulation quality is, you know, nearly perfect, you, know, you can still find new ways to, to really extract new levels of enjoyment out of those emulators. And you see it with, um, like, for example, with Messen, uh, we have the HD packs um, and ways, and I think that even BU is doing something with, uh, with uh, you know, there's, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but um, there with the Mode 7, like the high resolution Mode 7 mm-hmm. stuff, there's a lot of cool things that are going on that are really like, if you look at what's happening, like with emulation, how do we um, create new and interesting ideas out of it? Um, create new tools for creating games for retro systems in an easier and more modern way um, and all that kind of thing. So so when we talked initially about working with the Video Game History Foundation, we said we, we totally support what you guys are doing and um, we think that you're a great authoritative voice on, on what video games, um, where video games came from and what you know, what uh, you know, what people can look back on in the future and, and how they can understand it. Um, so, so basically, we said, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you guys uh, a percentage of the proceeds from the games. We want you to reinvest a certain percentage of that into open source developers as a as a grant system, and then uh, we want to support you guys in whatever endeavors you guys want to come up with. Um, that's awesome. So, so that's the relationship. And um, without going into other details, uh, we basically came up with, I think, maybe five to eight actionable things in the future that we're going to be working on together, and I'm really excited for that. Yeah, that's really exciting. Very cool, very cool. Um, Regarding the modules, what do, besides giving the Polymega a port to play the cartridge, what is kind of included in the guts for each individual module? Right, so um, in a module, you've got, of course, the ports. Um, so you've got your controller ports and the cartridge ports. Cartridge um, handles, uh, you know, when you insert it, you, you get a game dump. Uh, there's a microcontroller on board the module that um, handles the, the data processing. Um, there's a bunch of interfaces that go into the, the main unit. Um, the controller signals are read at a really low level, so they're extremely low latency. Uh, so I think we're under one frame of lag right now uh, with the controllers. So you're basically getting like zero lag when you're playing. Perfect. And there's no special tricks like run ahead or anything like that. A lot of people are like, and this is one of the things that uh, I think someone, when, when you mentioned, um, you know, are we worried about uh, other teams doing CD? Not really. I, like there's certain things that are just practical issues with, um, like for example, run. Do you, if you know how run ahead works, you're running two instances of the emulator, um, and you know there's a couple of frames that are different um, that sort of predict what's happening next. So that's fine if you're running an NES emulator. You can actually get really great latency out of it, um, but it starts getting a little bit trickier when you're running a really really demanding emulator like Sega Saturn. So right. running two instances of Sega Saturn is not going to be a viable option for a lot of people. So you're not going to be able to use run ahead on that. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reason why having dedicated hardware is actually a really important aspect of recreating the experience of playing the games. Um, you can have nearly zero latency hardware uh, while playing Sega Saturn. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, they, they come in, they're like, ah, Saturn's going to suck. And then they try the Polymega and they're like, wow, that was really good. It's because there's no latency while you're playing Sega Saturn. It feels like you're playing a Sega Saturn in HD um, with a Frame Meister at minimum. So it's um, there's 
there's a lot of stuff, a lot of hardware interfaces that we put in the module, especially if you're using the module. You can use even the USB and it's really fast. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but yeah, on the module, we also have uh, flash memory um, that is uh, that's used for storing all the games uh, that are preloaded on the module. Um, and we have a couple of extra interfaces for all kinds of different tech that um, may be used in the future. Hmm. Very cool. I yeah, I think I think uh, I think I read on your site that maybe originally Saturn wasn't included uh, in the plans, and then that's one of the most requested. Because the way I honestly, like, part of me in my mind is like, yo, this is like an ultra cool Sega Saturn. Everything else for me is kind of just gravy because I really want to get into Saturn. Um, but you know, it's like well, getting the great a good video signal, um, and at a certain point, like I'm spending like a hundred and something, and now like, well, look at the Poly Mega. Like at this point, I can get 1080p. Looks really good. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Saturn for me is one of the big selling points. Um, but I gotta ask one thing that I didn't know, like from reading like coverage until I saw your site, is that the Poly Mega will have a digital storefront. Um, can you tell me about that? Like. How big are the plans for it? Because, you know, obviously when you think of Starfront, like in Brett shows, like, well, are you are they going to get like, uh, co like work with licensors on properties to get maybe some old games on here, or is it like future games? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that digital storefront? Yeah, I mean, um, this is the thing, right? Like, so we're retro gamers. Um, there's basically one way for um, a creator of new indie retro titles to get their games out into the public, and that is pretty much to release it on a cartridge. Um, so you get your cartridge out there. Um, it's done in maybe a limited capacity, but almost immediately your stuff's out in the wild. Like anyone with a with an EEPROM dumper can. Oh, no, that's true. You know, that's your true. stuff is just out there, and I think about this as a developer. Huh. Um, if I was building a team that wanted to say make a triple A, awesome, like for the for, for a retro console, big budget, like maybe we're gonna put eighty thousand or a hundred thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars into making the most awesome retro game ever, I would never make it for the original consoles because I could never control where that gets released. Yeah, it would just be out there. So I think what's like stymieing the create, and not to say there's anything wrong with the homebrew efforts that are out there today. There's a lot of great efforts. Um, I've seen just eye-popping projects from people out there, and it's really great. Um, but it's really coming from the most hardcore, passionate fans. Now, working in a development, a real development team for for big budget projects, you have your blend of the people who are the artistic, creative visionaries who have absolute love for the franchise that we're working on, and then you have the workhorses, the guys who who you know went to college, uh, you know have their degrees in physics and all these different these different uh, disciplines that uh, they're not going to work on something just out of the love. They need to get paid. Like that's right. the truth of the of the matter. And in order to make these really, really great big projects, imagine what it takes to make this Final Fantasy VII remake that they're making now. Sure. That's how, I mean, imagine the budget for that. I'm it's not. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. It's it's what game? <laughs> <laughs> right. So 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 to to put together an even small team, you need to have at least a, a bit of a possibility to make some money money off of it. And um, doing a cartridge release is cool, but it's it it has like a very limited market, right? So I think what what I saw was, look, if I'm going to make a new game property, um, and and that's something that Polymega actually does want to do in the future, we want to we want to do some first party titles for the Polymega. 
So if I'm going to do that, I don't want to release it just on a cartridge. Maybe I'll do a collector's edition after the digital release, but but I'd ra much rather have a uh, you know a moment in time where I can actually sell the product and you know recoup whatever money we've invested into it and hopefully make enough money to make the next project. Um, I'd rather have that rather than um, you know it just kind of go out in, into the wild and then fizzle out once it's like sort of out there. Everyone talks about it for for you know half a second and then that's it. So, um, so as far as the digital storefront goes, um, a really great way for people, uh, for creators of retro game projects and hopefully both new and old, hopefully new ones in the future too, uh, for them to come up with great new ideas and sell them uh, on the store and be able to um, sort of control that for a little while. Um, and then the second part of it is we are working with lots of big publishers um, who have looked at the Polymega and said, hey, this is a really cool thing. How come no one's done this before? And, uh, you know, we sort of were asking the same question um, and, you know, we sort of we, we made it because it didn't exist. So those publishers, um, you know, we'd really like to see anthologies of games come out um, so you can, you know, for one prize, pick up every game in a specific franchise across multiple platforms. Um, we think that would be really nice. Like I'm SNK, I want to sell every art of fighting game that ever came out. Could be right. Neo Geo CD, Neo Geo AES. Yeah. Could be the the SNES version, the Genesis version. Pack them all into one thing, uh, and have it be one price, and get the whole series. Could be a blend of different things. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different ways that we can um, package and do bundles and things like that that I think could be really cool uh, for people. And um, not only that, like you know we have access to a lot of the games. Like let's be honest, you know you can go download a torrent of games and you know just play them on your on RetroArch or whatever. You know, what's so great about having a digital store? Well, I think if it is just that, then it's going to fail. It needs to be more than that. It needs to be, you need to have new content in there, new things that are actually exciting and compelling for both retro gamers and newcomers to retro games alike. So, um, so yeah, and one of the things that we've been talking about um, since E3 is, uh, is uh, the, um, specifically the HD packs for, for Messing. Um, and if you're familiar with, are you guys familiar with Messen? No. The emulator? Messen is a is an NES emulator. Um, it's kind of like the, the one of the best ones out there right now, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm sure a lot of people agree, but uh, maybe other people may not. Messen, uh, one of the interesting things about it is that um, the way that it uh, renders the frame buffer and, and the, the, the window of the game itself, um, it does it pixel by pixel. So it's capable of uh, of blowing up uh, the uh, image of the game to up to like four times resolution. Um, so what that basically means is that you can have HD graphics right. packs, mm -hmm. and um, it, it also supports Aug Vorbis audio. So certain games basically, and there was a, there's an ex a couple of examples out there. There's one called Metroid. Oh, where it's like the orchestral soundtrack or things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, you can get a you can get a up you can get higher quality music, and you can also completely reskin the entire game. Um, but you're running the the original game uh, in real time, and to see it uh, running in action is actually really cool. And um, so we're going to work with pub we're working with publishers to create new graphics uh, HD packs for classic games like NES games, um, and oh, then cool. bundle them together on the on the store. So there's something new and something old. Um, and something that's kind of compelling for people. And um, I think this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg um, with what we can do uh, on that front. And we have, we'll hopefully have a lot more other things that are coming down the pipe in the future with the store. 
That's mm. that's very very cool. I'm gonna we're keeping you, uh, I think, long enough. I just got one quick last question. I as we are all kind of retro collectors and big fans of the the retro scene, Brian. What would you say is your like holy grail of your game collection? Oh, the holy grail of my game collection. Hmm. I I uh, I've got two i would say um the first one is i've got a legit copy of uh uh sapphire for the pc engine cd um which is about uh it's i, I love shoot 'em ups and pc engine cd is my favorite system so yeah. that that one sits in my case in a very protected glass <laughs> thing in my office that i think i think it's like an 800 or 900 dollar game and then uh the other one that i got kind of recently that was actually a gift um, but I just I, I just look at it and I just am in awe. Um, have you guys ever heard of the FM Towns Marty? Yes, I love yes. that little alligator guy. That guy's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so 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 um, a dear friend of mine got me an FM Towns Marty console and um, a fully boxed legit copy of Splatterhouse, which is oh, a game wow. that, I, that I love. Um, and I think that's a pretty expensive game too. But it was it just is so cool and that. I really love that. I mean, honestly, if I could do it on Polymega, if if, any, if people actually wanted an FM Towns Marty, I don't know if they do or not. Um, I certainly am I'm enamored by that system, and um, I just thought it was so cool because when I put that game in into the CD-ROM drive of that of that uh, the FM Towns Marty, and you know, you can actually go in. It loads like a desktop GUI, and you can click into the the CD, and there's all these little like art. Uh, art images from from people who worked on the game, writing little notes to the players, oh, wow. and just stuff like that. Oh, that cool. I was like, wow, where did all this come from? This is so cool. Why don't why don't developers do this anymore? And um, yeah, there's that. That's the kind of stuff that I think when I when I think about my collection and what I prize, uh, like it's the it's the the things that are undiscovered so far by the general public. Like you know, there's I want I want people I want people to learn about the systems that they don't currently know about. And uh, and so I, I love that game for that reason. Very cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us and talk to us about the Polymega. It sounds like such the passion you have for this project and all the thought that has gone into it from the database to um, interacting and hooking up with publishers and developers for this idea of the storefront and the HD packs possibly down the road in the video game history um foundation it's it's enlightening and the passion you guys have is uh fantastic so thank you so much once more for for speaking with us absolutely thanks so much for having me yeah take care thank you brian yeah, yeah check us out polymega.com um and yeah follow us on twitter and all that for updates and polymega poly- hq and the Polymega is coming out fall, correct? Yep, that is where we're at right now. We're making a bunch of systems in China. Okay. <laughs> so, Good luck at the launch there. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Woo, man. So thank you again to Brian for giving us his time to talk about the Polymega. Uh, that was quite exciting, Scott. I think... You know, it was really great to, you know, it's such an ambitious project that I think there's skepticism. Um, And I think there's still a little bit of skepticism, but after talking to Brian, um, 
it's certainly really exciting and it's cool that it's coming out so soon. Obviously, this has been in development for such a long time, but the buzz on it hasn't really picked up. It's, it's really, really at a fever pitch now that it's almost out here. There's a lot of things that Polymega really has going for it. I'm curious. It's a very high quality looking product. I'm anxious to get my hands on it. I'm going to be curious how the retro community reacts and how it adopts it because to get the base bun to get the bundle that comes with the base unit and all the modules, it's sitting at about five hundred bucks. So it is a pricey piece of gear, but right. from what Brian was saying, a lot of work has really gone into it. And if they can del- And it's gonna continue to go into it also. Exactly. So if they can really deliver on all these things that it sounds like they're going to, uh I, I could see it definitely being worth the the price tag. Yeah, I think especially when you give the base is three hundred, but when you think about it, like the uh, sort of the turbo graphics, I was like sixty dollars a mod. Is that sixty dollars or fifty dollars for a all the modules are sixty dollars? Yeah. So like that is that's a pretty good ass value to get HD ten eighty p with a database out out of uh, turbo graphics like that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Like, yeah, that's really good, but. Regardless, uh, of course, you can keep up with the Polymega by visiting their website, social, and Instagram. Their Instagram is really good because that Polymega is a looker. Oh, it, it's what. pretty. It's a pretty beast. But, uh, I, and I know we're both excited, but I think we'll have to see once people get their hands on it, run it through its paces, uh, the digital foundries, the John Linnemans of the <laughs> world, and, of course, the retro community. Um, but, yeah, you can follow uh, Scott to hear any other retro game musings and... Uh, you know, video game book club and everything else that Scott yeah. does for our site, Professor RPG, uh, at Solid Snake One Twenty. Yes, this is true. Uh, and you can follow myself, where I will. T- I I occasionally talk about old games and stream old video games at J Cruz Alvarez Twenty Six, and Irrational Passions at Irrational Pod. Um, you can also so find yeah, thank twi- you so much. Uh, Irrational Passions on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Irrational Passions and on YouTube at youtube.com slash irrational passions so be sure to check those out in addition to the site itself irrationalpassions.com never say that scott is not a hype man, man uh and down. represents the brand got it down. uh thank you so much for listening everyone uh and i guess until the next whatever the next thing on the irrational passions presents feed is we will see you next time